As this podcast expands into the student entrepreneurship scene, we continue to be fascinated by the incredible abilities evident in these incredible students. Today is no different. How does a student-led fitness apparel brand hope to challenge the incumbents like Nike and Adidas? Well, we're learning about that today as we're joined by Ollie Watts, founder and leader of the Backstreet Company. Thank you so much for um, for joining us today for the Founders Edition podcast, episode two, which is very exciting. Um, it's great to have you on board with us today. Yeah, no, it's uh, really good to be here, actually. Really nice little chat. It's a shame that it's only audio, actually. See how know, gorgeous well, one day, one day. <laughs> um, so, so where are you calling um, or where are you talking to us from today, Ollie? Um, so I'm actually back down in Brighton. Uh, I've been back down in Brighton now for about a week, um, largely just due to the accelerator that we're both, both on this week. And then also Absolutely. just a few um, kind of interviews, a couple of client interviews over the week. And obviously work down here as well. Brilliant. So, um, so Ollie, so you are founder, kind of leader at the Backstreet Company. But before we talk about that, I would love to just talk a bit about where you started out, where you're from um in the uk where where are you from yeah um so i was brought up in a tiny little town called Froome, uh in the middle of somerset although i was pretty much brought up in an even smaller place called beckington uh proper country bumpkin kind of lifestyle growing up uh lots of fields lots of sheep lots of tractors kind of thing so pretty much every day was just <laughs> spent outside singing my eyebrows off making bonfires throwing things climbing <laughs> climbing things just very, very kind of traditional kind of upbringing, I guess. I like that. That's sim- similar to me. Uh, I'm I'm from Cornwall, <laughs> so it's uh, the the country bumpkin is the is the yeah lifestyle. rural. So uh, what what were you par- were your parents uh, proper rural farmers or, or what did they do? <laughs> um, no. So weirdly enough, my parents growing up were both estate agents. Uh, they ran their own estate agency company out of a place called Coombe Down on the outskirts of Bath. Um, they did that for several years and. The thing was, because they were working so much, like growing up, uh, almost like a massive staple of my life was with my grandparents, who weren't quite farmers, but they lived that kind of area. So growing up after school, like I said, days were kind of spent out in the fields, throwing stuff, <laughs> doing stuff, climbing trees, pretty much like a walking, living health and safety hazard. <laughs> so so would you would you say um, your, your parents, they were what, self-employed, I guess, would you say... Uh, well, first of all, would you say you are yourself quite a kind of an entrepreneurial person? Would you say this comes from that self-employed aspect um, of your parents? Yeah, I'd like I'd like to think so. Um, a lot of our weekends, when say our parents weren't working, um, me and my sister would go leaflet dropping with them around like the local towns and stuff. We'd drop flyers off, and the thing is, it was just the standard for us growing up. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it, to be fair. Um, but no, I think it was largely from that. And I remember even after. Um, growing up, if I ever wanted anything, I remember when I was like 13 or something, my dad'd be like, "Oh, well, you had to go out and do it yourself." So I, I remember my first job being at like the age of 14. I'd make these little dainty um, leaflets and hand them around the place to just do odd jobs. So stuff like painting fences, cutting grass, very like, very kind of like odd jobby kind of things. The the hustler mindset, I see. <laughs> so so you so you so you okay so yeah i guess that i would call that a nice little entrepreneurial spirit as you were growing up um and uh and then you found yourself at a at university um at the Just right about, age yeah. of 
whatever age we start university at. Um, and what, what did you what did you do at uni? What was your what was your area of study? So I am currently still studying. I've got one more year left. Um, I'm studying law with business and management. Um, just about. Um, <laughs> don't quite know how I actually got into it in the first place. Um, I never really saw myself as like almost like a university kind of person, but. I remember I got to like year 10, year 11. I wasn't doing amazingly in school. Um, very standard kind of student. I thought if I am going to go to university, then I might as well try and do something that's going to be a little bit taxing and that's actually going to be worth it at the end. If that makes sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> just thought it'd be best to do something like law, um, business. Like I said, I'm very, I'm quite, uh, I like to think articulate person. I'm quite good at like writing and conveying my thoughts down on paper. So I feel like, something like a law degree um intertwined obviously with the entrepreneurial uh business section would be perfect for me yeah no i like it i don't know if you've been watching the the well we're watching the johnny depp amber Heard trial but i don't know if that oh, made you yes. want to be a, a lawyer anymore <laughs> um it was so, to be fair, it was a brilliant insight it was a brilliant insight yeah yeah so um, okay, so so business law, you and you've got so you've got one more year at university, and yet you have been running your own company for three years now. Three years yesterday, technically. Three um, years yesterday. Yeah, it was. It's a bit of a shock actually. I could, I completely forgot until that popped up. Um, but yeah, since God, twenty nineteen now. And so since twenty nineteen, brilliant. And and so you, what you started that when you when you joined university or just before? It was it was probably about a month or two after I actually left school. So when I was about when I was eighteen, so summer of twenty nineteen. Brilliant. And uh, and for the for I, I know a little bit, but for the people listening, why don't you give us a, a just that elevator pitch of what the Backstreet <laughs> Company is? Yeah. Um, so Backstreet Company is a lifestyle and sportswear brand um, and it's largely split into two parts. We've got direct sales online through our clothing, which we've done for a number of year na- years now, um, but also a massive part which is emerging is our sponsorship program. So it's a student working with student kind of body where um, we provide kits, uh, maintenance grants and just general sponsorship kind of fees and kits, supplier rates kind of thing. Um, to university teams um, up and down the country at this point and again it's just over the last couple of years it's grown exponentially to take on a massive part of um, the company that I started back in 2019. And so was was Backstreet your your kind of first exploration into a into an actual business or um, or did you have a couple before and this was just the first success? Um, it's funny you say that actually. So I remember looking back at like through my old like maths textbooks from what 2015, 2016, and I, I remember seeing there's like a little note saying like Backstreet Apparel, and it did like a little costings or something for like um, buying t-shirts from like third parties and then selling them off, and that was when I was like 15. Um, so I, and again, it completely left my memory. And then looking back on it, so I think Backstreet was the first idea that I ever had in regards to a business but I feel like it was quite deep-seated from a young age because um, yeah. I've, I've always um, like grown up working as like a KP the typical jobs that you do working for like cafes restaurants etc I grew to really detest having like a boss and again even the, the jobs as a young age going off um, painting fences cutting grass like I said being your own boss I found it so much more rewarding doing it for yourself 
So I think even though Backstreet was my first idea, it, I was always kind of in my mind that I wanted to run my own company, not kind of really have to refer to anyone and kind of be my own boss in that spec. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, a less important question, but where did the, uh, where did the name Backstreet come from? <laughs> I knew you were going to say this as well. Um, <laughs> the weirdest thing everyone always asks is, I have no idea. There's no... People go, oh, there must be some like rich tradition to it. There must be like some staple piece to it. And honestly, I think I put together, like I said, when I was like 15, 16, Backstreet Apparel or something. I just really loved the name. And yeah. um, I don't know, it's emerged from it now, like Backstreet Boys kind of genre <laughs> music. People seem, like, seem to think I take reference from. But no, um, again, the name just stuck. It just really kind of resonated with me. Um, no particular history to it. Just really like the sound of it. Well, I like it. I like it. And now, I obviously, I, I know you semi-well now, and, and I know that you are a avid sportsman. Um, and Define avid. So, I mean, you, you are, I, know, I, can, I know that you and, uh, and some of your friends go on some pretty hefty runs. And uh, I want to know, so uh, Backstreet is a, is a sports, kind of sports apparel company, but you, you say you're expanding into that uh, sponsorship uh, division or area. What would you yeah. say Backstreet is kind of a passion project for you? It's something that you've always been into, or is it more of the thought where you want to be your own boss and you always want to be maybe an entrepreneur, so you thought this was the best way of doing it? Yeah, I think it's kind of like an amalgamation of both, to be honest. I think I remember growing up, um, the context, I used to play badminton um, to a decent standard, and I always had it in my mind that I wanted to do sport when I was older, and I always was besotted with thinking... Um, Oh, I either really want to be a sportsman, obviously like semi or professional, or actually do something kind of revolving around sport. And again, it goes back to it intertwined with being my own boss. So being able to talk to university teams all day and night about um, a whole plethora of different sports, how we can help them with that and actually getting involved with it, both on a club level and also an individual level is just it's amazing. It doesn't feel like a job, really. That's uh, I guess that's exactly what you want in the job, and so um, you 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 started and I know you said you found in your maths book it was um, Backstreet Apparel, um, and and you briefly mentioned in your in in the pitch that it has kind of evolved from that into a into that a kind of sponsorship business. Is that a uh, is that a kind of a, an actual evolution of the idea, or is that just an aspect of the idea that's growing? Um, I think it's. Mm, that's a good question actually um i think it's more to do with the evolution just because obviously when we first started out the main reason i actually started backstreet was just because i was so pernickety with my clothes that i wanted a t-shirt that i could wear both in the gym and also in a coffee shop simultaneously and all of the suppliers that i knew at the time and we did a massive bunch of r&d even at that point um to find a supplier in germany which was able to fulfill that um and then the year after that, like I said, it was largely just direct sales. So it was just selling cl- clothes through our website until my actual badminton team at university approached me and asked whether we wanted to get involved. And it was kind of like a steady kind of evolution or like a eureka moment from that, um, thinking, yeah. okay, we could actually kind of benefit from this as well. Um, mm-hmm. Leading onto this season, working with a number of different teams across a variety of different sports. And um I don't know, I, I still would like to think that obviously down the line, Backstreet kind of keeps that ethos for being sport orientated. So whether that is in the context of doing sports clothing 
or whether that is working more on like an event or sponsorship basis with teams. Either or, to be fair, I would be more than happy with. And I think it's quite nice the fact that we're able to strike the balance between obviously being able to provide the kits for university teams and also the maintenance costs, but also being able to have the aspect of being able to sell our own clothing in regards to it. I think it's a lovely little balance to strike. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I mean, I have a, I have a more technical question on the uh, on the sponsorship sponsorship. I can't say that word today. Um, <laughs> side of the business, but um, you can. I obviously understand this is your business, and you might not want to divulge all of the juicy information. Um, but what is the business model behind yeah. um, that sponsorship side of the business? You're 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 providing clothing for brand, uh, for teams, and is that more of a branding opportunity or is it a revenue generating aspect of the company so it's actually a bit of both when you think about it so um a traditional kind of package that we do is say what the teams we have at sussex or teams at portsmouth for instance is um we'll approach a team uh ask them the size of their team and what they expect from us now depending on the size of the team um we give out a discretionary amount of maintenance from the offset to help them manage throughout the year whether that's with costs in regards to say for instance badminton with the shuttlecocks or athletics whether it's with help with travel fees etc um and then based on that we also um provide the kit now the kit is the main kind of form of kit back at the minute that we make from it um Hence why we asked the size of the team prior to work with them so we know how much we can give out and how much we can make a return on. Um, but funny enough saying that, going forward, so we're working quite closely with a few teams up north next season, hopefully, um, and we're actually expanding out into kind of events as well, as well as um, kit sponsorship. So one of the main problems that we found over the last couple of years are these massive umbrella contracts that universities can have with sponsors like akuma sports like nike for instance which can really <laughs> it's where kind of being a law student kind of helps it really can kind of like tie your hands behind your back um and it led to quite a few discrepancies last year working with um portsmouth we'll say <laughs> um and so as a short-term solution to a long-term problem we're hopefully providing these packages to teams that do have these ties um as Say we're going up doing ticketed events for like varsity events into uni events um, and then being able to sell our own um, individual merchandise up there to make the kickback from. So, um, yeah, the business model for the club level is largely split between obviously the more traditional kind of kit sponsorship. Um, but we're also trying to kind of branch out into more of an event style thing while still retaining, obviously, the emphasis for obviously our clothing and then obviously ethos behind that. That's brilliant. Uh, that's really something I've really been interested in is that sponsorship um, side of, of every sports brand. I mean, you have F1 and you have football. Um, I mean, for example, on F1, you see tens and tens of uh, advertisements on a single car. Um, and yeah. I've always been very intrigued on the actual conversion rate yeah, of these advertisements. Um do you do you, do you know any is there is there an industry secret to this type of thing or is it kind of just apply where you think it will get the most eyes and see what happens 
Um, I think it's it's extremely malleable depending on firstly the market you're in and also the type of company you're in as well. Um, so say I know stuff like um, Rolex, for instance, in F1 or in uh, golf, for instance, a lot of their kickback will largely just come from the exposure. Um, and obviously the direct sales will translate into like user retention and stuff online. Um, I remember there was a perfect one, a really good example of Pele back in like the 50s with Puma. And um, Puma paid him something like 100 grand at right at the start of the World Cup to tie his shoelaces. And therefore the camera focus would go on him and his shoes at the start of the game. And they made tenfold kickback from that. So I think it's extremely malleable, um, at least in regards to us. Like I said earlier, it's uh, we're a massive visual company because at the end of the day, we're clothing. So even if we just get our name on the kit, for instance, or people see the kit, it's a form of potential kickback from us because people will go from that and be like, oh, well, it says battery company. I'm going to type that up on the website. And before you know it, it translate, it can translate into a couple of sales from that. Um, but yeah. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting um, kind of business model. But uh, thank you for the for the uh, for the overview of the Backstreet Company. Um, <laughs> you can sit back now. You can relax a little bit. Um, uh, I, I want to kind of just dive into um, kind of what it means to be a founder of that company and kind of the the future for you. So you, how, how many how many people are working at the Backstreet Company right now? So at the minute, it's myself. Um, I've got a partner um, called Ben Ringrose, so a massive shout out to him, um, who helps out with um, a largely like the financial side of things. Um, we also have um, a vacancy or a couple of vacancies at the minute for another summer internship like we did last year. So last year we had an amazing intern for our marketing and SEO, um, who we had for quite a few months actually, and really transformed the company uh, from the inside out. And so we're looking, hopefully, this summer to be taking on another further two, bringing it to hopefully four this summer. Um, but again, it's it's extremely weird. Like I was telling you earlier before we went on the call, it doesn't seem like work. And it's to actually have people working for your company. Again, after like three years or something like that, it still really hasn't kind of sank in. Right. And and so you, so you were saying you have a you have a partner. Is this kind of someone who co-founded the idea with you or someone that has come on board later in the process um it's funny you say that actually so he for me for the first two years it was just solely me and we had this um flagship event last year where we did the through half and this guy ben uh he runs track for sussex as well so again we've got a good kind of personal relationship and we actually sponsored him um last year for the race and it was just at the end of it he turned around to me and he was like oh, i really love um the ethos of the company what we stand for the business model um, I just love to be able to oversee what you do. So sat in on like a few calls, etc. Um, whilst we were uh, trying to sign people for the season after, and it's kind of just grown from that. I mean, I'm living with him next year, so <laughs> hopefully it goes well. Um, but no, he's a lovely guy, really, really lovely guy. And he's, I think, what he adds to it is just this kind of almost like an objective view, because um, obviously running a company for so many years, you can get quite tunnel vision. And you can kind of just start seeing stuff from your own perspective. So to be able to get kind of like another insight into it is um, it's been massive. Absolutely. Uh, this is this is something that I've found really interesting talking to to other people recently, and that is the 
the idea of leading a team and the idea of um, complementary skills and how you work with other people, how you manage other people. Um, and and you see, so you've you, I, I kind of what I understand from what you just said is that you both have different areas of expertise, but you work well together. Has there a, is there a, an art to that, or is it a bit of a kind of experimental relationship? Um, oh, <laughs> uh, I think it is probably quite experimental, at least for me. Um, like I was saying um, before, we actually jumped on the call. I'm amazing at being able to talk about the company. I'm really good at presenting myself um, for it, and I will say I I like to think I'm a bit of an orator, but I've I've learned over the years there's other aspects like financial side administration product research massive aspects of the company that i am really not too great at um and i think comes a point in obviously in your own life or in a business aspect that you learn in order to actually get the best out of it or to take it to the next level you need to learn that you're not actually that good at this or it would be better being shared with this person or getting potential freelance to um shoot for it like i know i i studied um (laughs) photographer a level but i know for certain there's people out there 10 times who have a better skill rep than me in regards to it so i think being able to learn that in regards to a company is a massive step i think that's such a good point uh, this is something i've definitely found as well me and um me and uh, sam the co-founder of uh, of, of marco we we like to see our, our relationship as, as an as a, as an actual relationship and we have to communicate well we have to understand where each other are at um, with ideas and with processes. Um, so I think this is such an important part of, of business that um, perhaps isn't always covered is that relationship building aspect. Um, but that makes sense. So thank you for that. And so the future, the future of of yourself, the future of Backstreet, you have one more year left at university. Is Backstreet still 100% what you're going for? You're smashing it out during that last year? Yeah, um, I always came to university because obviously I started Backstreet just before I came to uni and I knew that I was going into uni for four years. I There's some part of me that always wanted to get it to a level where I could almost just go straight into it after uni. Um, and I have learned, to be fair, it's, the trickiest thing is obviously the balance with it with university um, alongside the degree because obviously the more momentum you put into the degree, the less you could put into the company. And so... I've often found over the years that um, for probably half the year, obviously I'm focused on uni work, etc., and then the company dwindles. And then in about six months um, after, I've managed to get it back up to speed. It's almost like a little bit of a vicious cycle. Um, that being said, though, um, I am hopeful that I really would like to think that obviously I'd be able to do this um, to some regard after university, um, be able to hopefully grow it to the point um, where obviously being able to make a steady income from it but um i don't know it's it's, it's very um i'm very i'm typically my friends will say i'm quite a pessimistic person um <laughs> so i always consider the worst case scenario and obviously i i never like to think i take things for granted even when say last year we were doing more than t- typical full-time revenue during the summer it's still right okay this is going back into the company we're ticking out over we're not getting ahead of ourselves and i think if i take that kind of approach i'd like to think that obviously by the time what may next year comes that i can almost kind of sleep slip into it but again um it's to it's to the ether it's to the ether 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is um, this is I guess the every every entrepreneur's always at the back of an entrepreneur's head is can I pay myself with this idea? Or yeah. Do I have to go and get a job? Um, yeah, I know this is idea. This is thoughts that even I've been having recently. Um, so with with Backstreet, was there any um, was there any ideas that didn't make the cut? Was there any really interesting concepts you've you had and you really wanted to make work but just they just couldn't do it? Um, I think it, it wasn't necessarily the ideas that couldn't work. I think it was at the stage we were at in certain aspects. There was um, I remember thinking obviously the first time that we sponsored um, Sussex Badminton, thinking. Oh well, next season. Imagine if we work with ten teams, and it just wouldn't be feasible, po- feasibly possible at that time. So it's not necessarily the ideas that wouldn't work, but it's the timings of them. Um, and so, like I said, it's been a steady grind up from one team now to working with six teams to hopefully working with twelve teams next season. And I'd like to think that, um, again, being a pessimist, I I'm quite conservative with the ideas that I have and what I put down on the page. Um, so I'd, I'd like to think I don't really have many ideas that are kind of too far out the box. Um, I just think that the model that we've got um, as a company in regards to sponsorships, just it's a very foolproof model, but it's the extent to which we can get it out there and not overstepping the mark in regards to working with a super amount of teams over the next couple of seasons and not actually being able to deal with the traffic. This, I, you know, I'm really fascinated by this um, pessimistic entrepreneur your, <laughs> you, um, I think it's quite fascinating, and I, I want to touch on that in a minute. But um, so, uh, kind of moving on from the from the ideas that didn't make the cut, what's uh, what's next for Backstreet? Do you have any? I mean, you've you've got one more year at university. Do you have any interesting things you're going to be actioning this uh, this year, or is it more of the same? Um, I think in regards to again the events contracts that I was on about earlier, I think those. Um, over the next season I'd be really interested to see how those playing out because with kit sponsorship it's relatively straightforward process obviously it's a little bit in back and forth getting um, the right designs getting the right palettes the um, colorways etc but it's all kind of quite manageable and there's not many aspects to it that could go wrong whereas with these events packages that we're hopefully doing for quite a few teams up north um, next season there's a whole plethora of um aspects things that can change and i think to be able to try and nail them um i'd be extremely happy by the next season if we're able to do those and do those to a really good standard um but yeah no i I think those those are the main aspects going forward at least um i don't try to overshoot um i kind of have i like to think i have like a six month to a year's plan and over the next year like i said those those events um sponsorships and obviously the new um, teams coming in, new individuals coming in. Um, I think those probably are the main priority. Interesting, and and so um, hopefully not a sensitive question. You, I know you've won, <laughs> uh, you've won money for the business, but have you have you yeah. yet had um, any kind of outside investment from individuals or uh, angel investors that kind of deal? Yeah, um, it's not necessarily investment, but it's a lot we've we've been lucky enough to receive quite a lot of grant money um, from a whole plethora of different avenues. Obviously there was the accelerator accelerator last year that we had 
Um, we're also working quite closely with Nat West, um, able to um, do quite well out of that. And again, doing that again this season. But again, even to um, local companies, a massive, massive shout out to Elevate.com. Um, it's a company that I've worked for part time in the past. Um, it's a website um, design company, but not the kind of ones that you'd be thinking of. So not stuff like Wix or GoDaddy. It's a very bespoke programming service. And um, we worked very closely with them last year and this year in regards to our kind of like flagship event for um, the Froom Half. And they've been lucky enough to obviously help out with funding for that. But um, no, apart apart from probably grant money, we haven't actually really had massive amount of like equity investment, which again, hence why we're working quite closely with a representative from NatWest to put together a really good pitch deck to hopefully get that um, nailed as well this summer. Because... Um, I remember the accelerator we did last year, um, a massive, not necessarily fallback, but we had a, a pitch at the end of it to an angel investment group in Brighton. And the the main kind of form of feedback we got was obviously they loved the enthusiasm, they loved the passion that I conveyed, but it was just, it was, like I said, I'm not a statistician, I'm not a good mathematician. It was being able to reinforce that with the numbers. So kind of homing in on that again this season, I was telling you before about doing a three-day audit for the company, which um, really knackered me. Um, and being able to go through that and being able to convey that passion, but also be able to reinforce that with the numbers, that's another kind of big short-term job of us. Brilliant. Well, so for all the, the people listening, uh, uh, if you're coming to the end of your 30-minute drive, then we'll, we'll, we'll tie up pretty soon. But I want to completely remove ourselves from, from Backstreet Company very briefly. And I want to put a question to you and then open the floor to you about what um, has been interesting you uh, recently. But my first question is, what do you see um, as the kind of importance uh, important differentiation um, between selling to a consumer something that they have been kind of persuaded that they need opposed to finding out what a consumer really does need, a pain point say it is mm. um, and then selling them that. I don't know where Backstreet would fall into this but I'm curious on your take on that kind of, those two concepts No, it's, um, it's a really good question and um for the past year as well, I think a good way, to, like a good analogy for it is um, I've worked for Carporite, obviously to help subsidize the company as like a sales advisor. And I think in any aspect, whether it's entrepreneurial or whether it's actually working in a sales orientated environment, there's a massive difference between an order processor and an actual salesperson. Now, an order processor is someone that will obviously, you'll go in, you'll tell them what they, what you want, uh, what you expect from it, and they'll tell you what that is and they'll process the order. Uh, whereas a salesperson will find something that you're not necessarily looking for from the offset, but will need. Um, and being able to put you on that sales journey, being able to convey that even though that's not the thing you came in for at the start, that's something that you'd probably appreciate a lot more. Um, and putting that in the context of Backstreet, that's what we do um, in regards to traditional companies. We show what people have been working with for the last few years. Um, so in that regard, it's no real investment, a cutback on funding, extortionate kit prices, and um, just a lack of retention, a lack of, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, a lack of communication with the suppliers and then showing them what Backstreet can do. And um, I think that's that's probably our main USB 
at the end of the day is just um being different i guess it is just being different from what people tend to expect thank you well I, that was so this is this is the concept of, of part of the founders edition podcast is um is that we, we pass on a question from the previous podcast so that was something that me and chris talked about in episode one you should go and listen to it if you haven't already um and so okay now rapid fire these last two questions the first is what has been interesting you what do you see as something um that will come in really important into the world of business or into the world of uh, into this into, into modern day society over the next few years do you see is it crypto is it the way that we interact with each other what what's something that's really been interesting you recently um i think it's it's not necessarily lately but i think it was probably kick-started by lockdown is obviously this hybrid kind of working space uh, remote working i think that is going to take a massive massive form over the next couple of years um you'll suddenly see jobs emerging as well that didn't actually exist say two years ago um and it, it's just this globalization this shift i think it, it's tricky to gauge really because say 10 years ago looking on the perspective from today you go working from home like it's 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 very hard to kind of gauge um with everything going online where i'll actually probably be in the next five years but i think a massive one will be that remote learning and that remote working kind of environment i think it'd be absolutely massive even with um stuff like backstreet there's stuff that we're doing now obviously talking to people say up in st andrews that what 15 20 years ago we'd only really be able to convey actually in person with the travel um so yeah no i think that's a massive thing massive thing for sure well, thank you. Well, I will put that question and put that concept to next week's guest and we'll have a little discussion about that. Um, and now for the last kind of 30 seconds, I would love uh, I would love for just your, main, your, your key piece of advice you would go to anyone who's interested in um, expanding a business into the sports apparel or sponsorship area of business. What, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your most valuable bit of uh, advice for them? Um, what solely in regards to the sports business or, or like business sports in general what's just something that you've learned okay um, what I'll say is um, it's better to be a big fish in a small pond to start with rather than a small fish in a big pond we could have easily gone into just general sponsorship contracts with a whole plethora of professional teams um, or university teams included in that but choosing your niche at the start could prove to be massive because at least we learn even just um, doing direct sales, just being a clothing brand per se, you get absolutely swallowed up by the conglomerates. Um, so being able to choose your niche and stick to it and then only when you've reached that point expanding. So again, people say me being pessimistic, but just not jumping the gun too early, not kind of, I don't know how to put it. It's and it's a problem that I probably I've faced quite a lot is not letting the passion override the kind of like just common sense at that point so just being able to stick to your niche at the start not expand too quickly and just focus in and home on that and nail that to start with well there we have it well thank you so much ollie for joining us uh on our second episode it's been a pleasure having you today no it's been brilliant honestly it's been lovely and that's the podcast 
Thank you so much for listening to episode two of the Founders Edition podcast. It's already been such a pleasure to make this podcast and to talk to such amazing people. Next week, we've hopefully got someone from the fashion industry coming to talk to us. But honestly, just having people listening to these student entrepreneurs and student creatives and founders doing such incredible things is, is such a pleasure. So I thank you for listening to episode two and I invite you to listen to episode three when it's out. Thank you and see you there.